Paul today brings us back to his favorite word, truth. This word is the way he makes important points stand out. He uses it throughout all of Galatians to make us pay attention. This is the truth, Paul says. Paul is reminding the church that he planted about what's really true, about what really matters when it all comes down to it. Over the last few weeks, we have been making our way through our series on the politics of God. In week one, we talked about how God is not about the competition of today, but rather God um, throughout all of scripture has been about covenant and he calls um, his people into covenant with himself um, and into covenant with one another. God is about that move from competition to covenant. In week two, we talked about how, um, and we actually pointed to Paul and how Paul talks about entitlement and how the ent- that while political campaigns are built on entitlement, while um, Republicans and Democrats alike operate out of this question of who is entitled to what, God, God moves out of this question of what gift have you been given? And God moves us from entitlement into gift where we see all of life as merely a gift from God. And now this week, Paul reminds us of the true struggle. Paul this week truly gets real and reminds us of the struggle that's before us And I know you didn't come here this morning to hear about struggle. I get it. We usually go to religion for some kind of escape from from struggle. That's why we go to a place called church. The comforts of this place just coax us out of our daily struggle to come here and relax and rejuvenate. Normally, we approach religion in this sort of way. And who can blame us after struggling all week to get up? and go to work after struggling to be good sons and good daughters, to be good husbands and wives, struggling to raise our children well and struggling to pay the bills and to eat well and to exercise. After all that struggling, we come here on Sunday morning, and the last thing we want to hear about is more struggle, which is why the church over the past 40 years or so has kind of taken a therapeutic posture towards its people, Pastors looked out at their harried and struggling flocks and thought, really, really what these people need is less struggle. And so we've tried to make church as struggle-free as we can so that you can just come and receive first and give second. We build church buildings with every luxury, Keurigs in the lobby, television screens for announcements and an offering basket just by the door. And we have huge staffs to help ministry flourish to the point that volunteers are not much needed so that it's not a struggle for you and you can just show up and engage in a comfortable way because after all, you've struggled enough. We stopped preaching about struggle and we started preaching sermons like five simple ways to make your life great in God. And after 40 years of this project of removing the struggle from church, the church is struggling because somewhere along the way you caught on to us the world caught on to us and you realized that just coming for an hour among false smiles and easy platitudes doesn't actually help you with the real struggles you engage in Monday through Saturday 
as soon as you leave here, you return to the struggles of life. And to offer a struggle-free gospel is actually not helpful at all to you. And so Paul, the good pastor, reminds the church he planted of the struggle to which they are called. And the way Paul talks about the struggle is by using the language of law. Paul uses the word law to highlight the struggle of faith throughout his letters. For Paul, the law is what we're called to, and it highlights the gap between where we are and where we're supposed to be. The law highlights the gap between where we are and where we're supposed to be. The law was handed to Abraham's children. You remember Abraham? Abraham, the one who was given a covenant by God that said that God would bless him and through God and through him, God and Abraham were going to bless the world together. Abraham's children started to put together these rules about what the, that blessing would look like and how you would live into that blessing. One branch of Abraham's children, all they did were make these rules about how they were going to live it out. And guess what? All of them fell short. As soon as you have rules, you have struggle. Just ask any middle schooler. And so Paul uses this language of law to highlight the struggle that is inevitable for any of us who seek to live as children of Abraham. One preacher I heard talked about law saying, we all know law. We know it. Law is every feminist who secretly hates her body. Law is every megachurch pastor who is secretly addicted to porn. Law is that distance between where, where we know we should be and where we are. Paul says to the church he planted, Beloved, in that gap, in that gap between where we know we should be and where we are, that's where the sacred struggle is. Paul doesn't denounce the struggle. Paul doesn't rebuke the struggle. Paul shows how God sanctifies the struggle. A few months back, I was so explicitly reminded of this struggle. Back in the spring, I had lunch with a new friend of mine who is Muslim, who lives in Old Town Alexandria, and I was introduced to her through Imam Hindi. Um, I don't know if you remember Imam Hindi from um, Pub Theology in the spring. Imam Hindi invited me to an event at Georgetown advocating for interfaith dialogue, and after hearing this woman speak and being introduced to her, I was like a dork, like enamored with her, and I asked her, would you be interested in getting coffee with me sometime? And she said, sure, and later that week, like a dork, I emailed her promptly and set up a coffee date, and we met at Killer ESP one Tuesday. I show up there, and she's already seated at a table. Little did I know, it was Ramadan, and she's fasting. She graciously says, feel free to get something. I'm, I'm happy to sit with you while you eat. My stomach rumbled and I smelled the delicious pie and I thought about how I had completely forgotten the vocation of fasting. It's hard, you know? 
She graciously allowed me to enter into her fast with her. We skipped lunch. We went for a walk around Old Town. She explained Ramadan to me because clearly I had no clue. She explains to me that you get up in the morning and the way you know that it's time to start the fast is when you're outside and you can start to differentiate between a dark thread and a light thread. And when the light is enough to tell the difference, that's, that's when you begin the fast. And so she told me about being up that morning at 4.30 in Old Town as the sun started to barely make itself known and she's holding the two threads waiting to see when her fast would begin. And I thought about how I slept in that morning and how I completely forgot to do my morning prayers. It's hard, you know? We continued to walk and she was explaining to me how the rhythm of prayer works in the nation of Islam and how she as a Muslim engages in those prayers daily. And I explained to her how some Christians pray this thing called the office seven times a day. And she asked, oh, do you? And I said, no, not usually. Because it's hard, you know. And then she said something that made me struggle. She brought up this word jihad. She was bemoaning the fact that the word jihad had been hijacked by people who are pretending to be Muslims to wage political war. That's not what jihad means at all, she said. Their jihad is that internal struggle to become the people that God is calling them to be. Their jihad is that gap between who they are and who they're supposed to be. Every Muslim engages in that sacred jihad and in that struggle they receive God's grace, she said. And I thought about my own life and I thought about how I try to avoid jihad in every way possible. Here's the truth. Republicans will tell you that what you need is to be made great again. Democrats will tell you that what you really need is to know that you're already great. But Jesus tells you to die to yourself. Jesus says that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus says, you want to be made great? Enter into that sacred struggle. When you are brought into a life of faith, you are invited into a life of struggle. I can't save you from that. God seems completely uninterested in saving you from that. What God does seem interested in is sanctifying that struggle and making us better through it. One of the key things that we as Wesleyan, which is just another word for Methodist, one of the key things we believe as Methodist Christians is that in that struggle, God actually does make us greater than we would have been if left to our own devices. But not apart from the struggle. 
if there are any recovering Lutherans here, they'll tell you that what the law does is it tells you that you will always be bankrupt and corrupt. We don't believe that. We believe that in this sacred struggle, God is making us better people. We have the ability to, to schluff off that corruption. That's the truth that was proclaimed proveniently in the story Sisyphus. Remember that story? The Greek god who pushes the rock up the hill every day in the morning and back down to the bottom of the hill every evening. He pushes it back up the next morning and back down to the bottom of the hill that evening. His whole life is pushing this rock uphill and downhill until finally he's made something in the struggle that he would not have been without it. It's in the struggle that God is going to save us. Do not turn away from it. Never sell out for a cheap gospel. Never settle for comfortable. Lean into the sacred struggle of being made what you're called to be. Anybody who has been a part of Kingstown for some time will tell you that it has been a struggle. And in that struggle we have been made better than we would have been without it. In that struggle, Jesus has revealed to us the way he is saving us. You struggle to come to church? Excellent. You struggle to come to worship? Fantastic. In that struggle, God just might be revealing to us our misprioritized lives. We might be spending all of our time and energy worshiping something else all week, and we have nothing else to offer God. You struggling to be in a common table or invest in make in making meaningful connections here, maybe. Maybe in that struggle God is revealing to us the way in which our relationships have been disordered and how we need to be put back together again in a whole new way. Is volunteering time and energy to life to the life of the church a struggle for you? Thank God for that. In that struggle, God might be revealing the ways in which our lives have so little discipline and purpose without God. Throughout the last months of the election, it has also been a struggle. It's forced us to struggle in ways that God is saving us through. It's forced us to name the ways we are not struggling with God or are struggling against God. Some of us have had to struggle with our own privilege. Some of us have had to struggle with our own poverty we didn't know we had. Some of us have had to struggle with our own insatiable diet for political drama. Some of us have had to struggle with our own pleasure that comes at the expense of the downfall of another. Some of us have had to struggle to be in relationship with others who think completely differently than us, who are perhaps in their own struggle with both privilege and poverty. And parallel to that struggle for me has been the struggle of building this church. I'd like to believe that this church has become an icon 
for us. You know the Greek Orthodox tradition of icons where in peering into something you see the face of God? Yeah, that's an icon. And I believe this church has become that for me, for us, a living embodiment of God's divine struggle. This church has sanctified us and graced us. The struggle awaits everyone who seeks to follow Christ. And in that sacred struggle, God saves us and makes us what we never could have been if left to our own devices. We recently started a rhythm of morning prayer in our community We've been on Facebook Live every morning, Monday through Saturday at 7 a.m. And I'll tell you, it's been a struggle. I can watch my face on the video get tired and tattered as the week goes on. Monday morning, I wake up at 6.30, make my coffee, get ready to sit down, prep beforehand. By Friday, I'm waking up at 6.57 Tattered, tired, barely making it in front of the computer in time. It's the sacred struggle, though. This is my prayer. My prayer is, and I'm, I'm saying this with full confidence, my prayer is that when I am a 75-year-old pastor coming to visit this church at the end of my career, That your hands are still calloused from the struggle of setting up church. That your Bibles have been worn by the struggle of getting up for morning prayer. That your knees have been fell upon so much more often than you could have ever imagined. So that you look like the ragged saints of God. Church, I pray that in your struggle, God saves you.